The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 10, 38-42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, uh, I'm glad to uh, be able to talk about this passage. It's a passage, actually, I feel like it hits home to me quite a bit. I came across an article recently called, Ugh, I'm So Busy, a status symbol for our time. A thing, you know, subtext said, once long ago, being richer meant working less. And this article was really interesting because it talked about our seemingly busy culture. Listen to what they say. The gleam of being both well-off and time-poor, the authors talk about in this book, is, is driven by the perceptions that a busy person possesses desired human capital characteristics, competence, ambition, and is scarce and in demand on the job market. In a curious reversal, the aspirational objects here are not some luxurious goods like a nice watch or a car, which are now mass-produced and more widely available than they used to be, but workers themselves, who, by bragging about how busy they are, can signal just how much labor, how much the labor market values them and their skills. Such a perfect thing, because what is one of the things we, we've even talked about here before? People, you, you say, hey, how you doing? You're like, busy, but good. Busy, but good. That's like our phrase, right? Like, that's like the colloquial phrase that we use, because we're busy. I mean, you put out, you know, we put out all of our Instagram posts. We put out things. We're always usually doing something when we're doing the post, right? There's something going on with those things, right? But that's what's fascinating about this article that draws it out for me. is isn't just whether we are busy or we aren't. It's just the desire that we need to be busy, it's drawing out the fact that we are busy. And, it, and I don't know about you, but this is a really easy thing for me to go straight to my heart of I'm easily distracted. I mean, you read a passage like this, and the first thing that pops up that you see is Martha was distracted with much serving. It's not like she was doing bad things. She's doing the right things, actually, even in her context. And yet she's distracted. She's busy. I think if there's one simple thing that's coming from this whole text is that all of us, not just Christians, and I'm going to talk about how we import that into the Christian culture, the church culture, but as people, we value, I think the article nails it, ugh, I'm so busy, but we herald it as like a merit badge. Look at me how busy I am. And we're doing the right things. We're doing good things. We're doing all the things, but we could be missing the thing. And I think there's no better place of that than the church. I mean, the church can be a place where you could be doing a thousand Bible studies. 
You could be doing a lot of things. You could be equating everything that you do here to being in a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here visiting this morning. I, we always say this. I mean, I hope there are people in this room that are, that are asking about or maybe coming back into the church. Maybe you've been burned or, 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 or become cynical about the church because of this very thing of, is it just us a bunch of doing? I mean, we just kind of walking through steps this morning. I mean, I forgot to mention the uh, offertory. I wasn't even going to say that. I forgot to mention the offertory, right? You noticed that, didn't you? You always love, people always love when things go wrong in church. Um, yeah. Am I, is there a performance issue there? Like for us, you know? I mean, how does this text strike us? Because what I find is that even not just as, as, as a culture, but as a Christian culture, do we just Christianize our busyness? Do we just, okay, well, maybe I'm not doing these things, but I'm doing 15 of these. It, are we missing it? What would it be like for us to actually display discipleship of Jesus, following Jesus, simply by learning not about just what we're doing, but who, what is our being. I think that's what we've confused. We've confused our doing with being. We've said, if we do this, if we produce more of this, then we are someone. The Bible does the complete opposite. And that's what's so hard for us. That's why being a disciple of Jesus is so difficult. And it, yes, it drives us out to move. It drives us to do things in the Christian life. But we are often filling our life up with the doing and thinking that we're close to Jesus because of it. Just like standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being in a church doesn't make us a Christian. What does it mean? And then we find our lives so tired, so stretched, and we're exhausted. And then we think, God. Oh, I don't even know if church is really that important. It's one of those many things in my life. Jesus is one of those many things in my life. Like there's just, just a, it becomes supplements, not reality, not a refocusing. I, I, I'm going to quote it even if you're kind of like, what a nerd. I love this line from Bilbo Baggins from the Fellowship of the Ring. Listen to what he says and does this not categorize us? I feel thin, sort of stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. Is that not us? Don't you just feel like you've been scraped over too much bread? Doesn't your heart just feel like sometimes, why am I do, what am I doing this for? Well, this passage actually splits it in half beautifully and tells us two things. It says, one, how are we distracted? It says we're distracted. And two, it just says, what does it mean to be a disciple? Distracted and disciple. What's the difference? What's the difference between being distracted and being a disciple? What are those? What does that mean? If you notice in this passage, Martha and Mary, who we've actually talked about before, we talked about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, their brother raising from the dead. Because Jesus has this relationship with them. He spent time with them. He's been in their home. He considers them really close friends. And it begins that when he's in their home, Martha welcomed him into the house. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And it says that she even asked Jesus, hey, will you tell my sister to stop doing What she's doing is actually very normal. Her cultural context was to serve. So what she was doing wasn't out of, out of line at all. 
In fact, it would be expected. Most people would come in, the men would actually sit and, and, and be instructed by a rabbi if there was a teacher, and most of the women in that context would be asked to create a hospitable environment. So for Mary, her sister, to do this, she was right in some sense even asking a question, will you tell my sister to stop doing that? She is supposed to be doing this. But what, what is happening here is a little deeper. Her distraction is with the fact that what is it going to look like? It's not necessarily that she needs more help. It's like, I don't have enough hands to do these things. It's actually the social context. It's the fact that she's really disturbed, that she's doing what she should supposed to be socially, and Mary isn't. She's completely distracted by it. She's consumed because what are people going to think of me and my home? Not to mention, Mary and Martha were not well off. It wasn't like they had some huge home they could take and host people all the time. They were actually socially marginalized, but in some sense, economically, they were pretty low on the totem pole. And so, for this, this this is more than likely than just Mary in that context. There were more than just Mary sitting there listening to Jesus. And so Martha was wanting and and thinking about, what does it look like to everybody around me? What are people going to think of me? What are they going to think of me as someone who is a host? And she's frustrating, taking it in its normal posture, but she's concerned about everyone else. There was an article I ran across that said this about current, uh, current performance culture. I thought this was fascinating. So back in the 50s, a sociologist, Irving Goffman, famously argued that all of life is a performance. We act out of, uh, out of a role in every interaction, adapting it based on the nature of the relationship or context at hand. Essentially, if you think, and they go on to say, essentially social media has just become another medium of this. That we've interacted in the way that we interact today. It's not bashing it, it's just saying, hey, here's a new medium for us to display what we want people to think about us like, right? That's exactly what's going on in this passage. There's no social media in this passage, but Martha is super distracted about what is everybody gonna think of me, including Jesus. She's anxious and troubled about, hey, this needs to be right. And she's so distracted. In fact, the word distraction even means trying to look two ways at once in Greek. And you can't. There's a a woman named Maggie Jackson. I've quoted her before. She writes this beautifully about distraction and our and our real our heralding our of um, being multitaskers. I'm a horrible multitasker, if any of you know. Um, I if the TV is on, I will get distracted and be like and zone out. And they're like, you could have a conversation with me, and you have to like literally get in front of my face sometimes. But I feel like I should be a better multitasker. I mean, we have books about it. We are constantly talking about we need to be more efficient in our lives. Maggie Jackson says the opposite. She says what is going on in our culture of desiring to be multitaskers, we're being distracted, we're eroding our attention, our actual focus, our reflection in the moment with who we're with face to face. And we're not actually giving ultimate work. We're not actually being able to work like we should. In fact, she says this. It's a mark of success to even be a multitasker, and we feel bad when we can't. We want to disembody ourselves by trying to overcome our limitations. And markers of distraction of multitasking is keeping us from seeing the more relevant and permanent parts of our life. That is Martha. 
She is super distracted. She's trying to see two ways at once, and she cannot. And she's trying to fulfill this role that Jesus, even, she wants her to see it. And she can't. And not only that, distraction is taking her from other people, but it's also taking her from herself. The anxiety and and the the actual sentiment, and it says this in verse 41, it says, the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. The word distracted is actually a synonym in Greek for anxious. It, It means the same thing. It means that she is kind of coming unglued, being pulled apart. I love that we sang that Jason Isabel song. Listen to, listen to this phrase again. Anxiety. How do you always get the best of me? I'm out here living in a fantasy. I can't enjoy one single thing. Why am I never where I'm supposed to be? Even with my lover close to me, I'm wide awake and I'm in pain. Is that not the most beautiful description of anxiety? That Mary, I mean, Martha is is encountering here in this text. That she is so divided that it's not just that she's distracted trying to do one thing. It's that she's coming apart. That with her lover, the lover of her life, the one she's trying to serve the best, The one sitting right in front of her, she can't even be with. She can't enjoy one single thing. It's distracting her, not just from the people around her, but from what's really going on in her. Jesus has to say, you're anxious and troubled. She can't even see it. She's busy covering it up, not even seeing what she really needs. And isn't that what distraction is? One of the biggest things that happens to us, especially in, in, in across the board, even if you're here and you'd say, I don't know if I'm a Christian, it is so simple to realize that you're avoiding what's really going on in you when you don't take the time to stop. When you need to stop and see what it is and reflect and know. My, my former pastor used to say it this way. He said, busyness is the greatest form of laziness. Because we can, we can go about doing a million different things and not really know what's going on here, what we really, truly need. And even with our lover so close, we can be wide awake in pain. Isn't that where we are? Isn't that what it means? Isn't that what we feel like? Even as we, as we say, I would say I'm a Christian, but distraction, the busyness of all of this is keeping me to see it from seeing even what's really going on in me. What I really need. Whose feet I really need to sit at. I mean, think about this. She's sitting, in, as we would, with the tension in a room of what people would think of her. And also the tension of what she really needs and yet doesn't feel like she can do. Isn't that over and over what keeps us going? It's like, I'll get, I'll get to that later. Every now and then you you dive down and you feel a part of your heart that really needs addressing. It really needs care. It really needs to have intimacy and closeness and your anxiety 
answered. And yet, we keep feeding our anxiety thinking, if I just finish this, if I just get past this, if I do this, then I will feel like I can have peace. But what we're doing is heaping on more anxiety, more busyness, and we even do it, especially even as Christians in the church. I've said this before, and I have to say it again, because this conjures this up for me, is I remember sitting in an Easter service as a pastor only a handful of years ago, listening to a beautiful sermon on the resurrection, and all I could think about every time that I heard words in the sermon was that I need to be reading more in my Bible. I kept thinking, I'm such a bad Christian. What was I doing? I'm not being with Jesus, I'm being around him. And some of us are so good at that. That's the point, isn't it? She's serving, here's the irony, she's serving Jesus and yet she's not with him at all. Does that not define us so often in the Christian life? Is that not us where we find ourselves doing Bible study over and over or going to Christian things and we leave and we go, I just don't feel anything. What did we go for? Are we going to the Bible? Are we doing quiet times? Are we praying? Are we coming to church and thinking that we're just going to have an emotion that strikes us? Who are we hoping to meet here? What are we hoping to accomplish? What is Martha wanting? She's wanting a home that, that is fine and put together, but it's scary. And look, she, here's, the, here's the crazy thing. Martha's title here, even what she's doing, the, the word serving is diakonos. There is even a language of deaconing here, of a position that we would even call in the church. And it is easy for us, who, and here's the best place, the best place to hide from God is often in Spiritual positions, Christian leadership, it can be so easy. Tim Keller, who said it this way, he said, the terrible danger is that we can look to our ministry activity as evidence that God is with us or as a way to earn God's favor and prove ourselves. Can I ask you honestly, to take inventory of where you are. You have to, you're having to sit for a moment to hear this guy blather on. So you have to sit and listen to something. But can you sit for a moment and allow yourself to take in the fact of what's really going on in you? Are you distracted? Are you busy? you're finding yourself around Jesus, around Jesus' talk, around spiritual things, but not with him. Let's look at what what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does that mean? It means that she's sitting at Jesus' feet. To sit at someone's feet, Mary is doing this, sat at the Lord's feet. Why does Luke give us that title? Why does he give us those words? Because Rabbinically, to sit at someone's feet meant you're identifying yourself with that person. You're saying, These, this person's words are going to be what defines my life. I am going to be a follower of them. It made Martha uncomfortable. But it made Mary very comfortable. She's submitting to him. 
She's identifying with him, with this man who's in her home, who's been traveling. And what would he be saying, I think? Here's the question. What is she hearing? More than likely, she's hearing this. She's hearing that his kingdom is now her kingdom. Imagine being Mary and being in this context. You felt yourself being a second-class citizen for so long. You felt yourself in many ways being pushed or marginalized. And yet at this moment, <clears throat> here's a rabbi, here's a teacher who's bringing you in, who's saying, you're not out there, you belong. What it means to be a disciple means that you belong. You're not having to earn it or keep it to be in it. You hear the difference? Our distraction, our busyness is is often us wanting to warrant ourselves to feel like we are close to Jesus or we stay with Jesus. But Jesus is saying probably the opposite here. Saying, here's my kingdom. Here's how you belong. And no matter where you are, no matter what your story is, no matter what you can or have overcome, that can't warrant you into the kingdom. What warrants you into the kingdom is that Jesus invites you. That's discipleship. How simple is that? And how hard is it for anxiety to tell us the opposite? What I love, again, Jason Isabel saying, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Jesus is saying to Mary, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And we feel like we're outside sometimes. And yet Jesus is simply saying something simple, kind to her. The moments when you feel like you are not in the kingdom, how could I ever be a disciple? What are the things that you go to to try and convince yourself that you are a follower of Jesus? And what does it mean? It means to simply sit at his feet. He, He doesn't lay on other burdens. He doesn't say you need to take up more Bible studies. He's not saying to her, you need to be doing more work. He says, if you want to do things, and eventually, guess what? Mary would get up and go back to hospitality, right? Every disciple in the Bible, they they left their what? Their families, their homes, their work when Jesus said, come follow me. But did they stay away from it? No. I remember living next door to, um, when I lived in Dallas, I lived next door to this trio of people that was so... They were awesome. They all three worked for Bacardi. Uh, Imagine. Um, And I remember talking to one of the the guys and and just talking to him about what what would it mean to be a Christian. And the answer that he gave me over and over was, man, it's just a, I feel like I'd have to do so much. I'd have to give up so much and do so much. I was constantly trying to talk to this guy about, think, and first, think of, that's his picture of what Christians are. But what does it mean for us? What are we really displaying? What does it really mean to be close to Jesus? It means to sit at his feet. C.S. Lewis put it this way, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not just pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and his son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. 
but it is so. He delights in that. He delights at her sitting at his feet. And it means that she's listening. Listen, it says, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. It means a listening. It means, in, in, in the Greek here, it actually means a continual listening. And she's eager to hear him, to take it in. An eagerness to actually receive, to be changed by it. And we need to listen. We talked through Ecclesiastes about, oh gosh, a few months ago. And one of the parts that talked about worship that was interesting was entering into the house of the Lord meant we have to have ears that hear, listen. And isn't that the hardest thing? When we stop and we actually have to hear the noise, and we're so used to the, to the rogue of just going and going and going, when we stop, we actually have to listen. And sometimes we listen to the things that we don't want to listen to. I know that, that uh, when Megan and the boys go out of town and they're visiting in Houston and Texas, I've, told, I've said this before, and I find myself at home for a weekend and, and the noise of the silence gets louder and louder and louder and louder. I'm like, please come home. Please come home. It's because we need to hear. We're made to hear, to listen. We need to stop to listen about what, not what we're to do, but first who we are, then go back to what we're to do. This is a really important point. There's even passages in the Old Testament where God says, I will dig out ears for my people because we are called to hear him. How much do we stop and listen? And what does listening mean? It means that we go to the scripture. It means we hear his voice. We meet, it means we recalibrate on a Sunday morning that we're not just coming to do a worship service, but this day is to celebrate again and remind us to hear that this is Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. That's why they, they moved worship from Saturday to Sunday in the scriptures. It's because we are celebrating Jesus' resurrection every Sunday, and we have got to hear it. Got to listen to who we are and have ourselves shaped to whom he is. To hear what his kingdom is like, to hear how we live in it. Otherwise, what voices are driving you? What are you listening to besides his that's calibrating who you are? Recalculating where you're going. How do we do that? We are to be going. We are disciples are meant to move out and work. But we cannot work unless we know what we're working in and who we're for and that we are loved in it. Are we going to him in prayer? Are we going to him in scripture? Are we finding that church is important? Not because I made it every Sunday this month. That's not what we're going for. That we care about church and our groups and the ways that we, this is why we, really you know, put emphasis on our connect groups because we're known and we have voices that are reminding us over and over so we can hear King Jesus and his kingdom and that we belong and that it's ours and that our performance isn't what makes the kingdom what it is. It's Jesus' performance through us, before us, behind us, if you want a good read, there's a really good read on leadership by a woman named Ruth Barton. 
And she called this strengthening the soul of your leadership. She said this about our souls. Our souls are like easily frightened animals. They hide amongst the noise. Listening and silence are actually teaching our souls that it's safe to come out. The reason we don't want to listen is, let's be honest, we don't think it's safe. Is God safe? Are the people around us safe? Can I really share? Can, can people really hear and can I hear them? Is it safe? Is it safe? Are we knowing? This is what, this is what Mary's encountering. She's sitting, she's listening, and she's going, for the first time, she feels safe. It's not crowded with noise. It's not trying to make herself loved by the busyness of ministry. It's her sitting and knowing who she is. So then she can go out. Because Jesus says this, and I love how kind Jesus is even to Martha here, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. He's so kind to her. Just to say her name twice, he meant deep intimacy to her. He wasn't scolding her. He was saying, Martha, my dear Martha, and, and, and I love even the language of is necessary. We have, how he's saying, look, we, you're substituting the luxury for the necessity. You're making sitting at my feet a luxury rather than the necessity. The thing we need. The thing you need. And he says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And I think he's not using this word as a throwaway, but portion is even a word that's taken from Psalm, Psalm 16 even. It says, the Lord is my portion and my cup. We've been even studying that a little bit in the men's Bible study. What does it mean that God is my portion? It's kind of a weird thing. She's serving, she's preparing, she's doing hospitality, but God is my portion. What does it mean to go to him? To actually feed on him regularly. That's what he's talking about. This portion, this portion of meal, that's typically what it was used for. So is, is God what you're feeding on regularly? Is that relationship something you're going back to over and over and over of regularity? Because this is what discipleship means. It means to follow. It means that you leave your nets, you leave your, your homes, you leave your families, but you go back to them and you take it up. And to continually feed on what you've been given to make sense of all of those things. Jesus is not fit to, to take half of you. Jesus does not want part of Martha. That's what he's trying to get at. He's so kind to her because he's saying, you're great. I love your home. But I need you, all of you. Not you looking at me and you looking over here. If you want to make sense of all of this, Martha, Mary is trying to make sense of all of it by sitting here. And God is not fit to let you and I be just kind of haphazard with him. He doesn't want half of you. He wants all of you. Lewis said this when he talked about going to the dentist. He said, if you, if you go to the dentist, when he was a child, he often had a toothache and he knew that if he went to his mother, she'd give him something which would deaden the pain for that night. 
and let him sleep. He says this, but I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I didn't doubt that she would give me some aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from the pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with teeth and all sorts of things that had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they took a yard. Now, if I may put it this way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he will take a yard. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin which they're ashamed of or which is obviously spoiling daily life. Well, he will take care of it all right, but he will not stop there. That you may be asked, if you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. Look, we're going to a table now that calls us to this very thing that says that if you come to this table that we can't come half-hearted. This table is actually saying to us that you can't be around it. You have to take it. You have to consume it. It's saying who we really are. This table means that if you partake here, you're saying, I am a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean you're doing perfect things. This table isn't about you having everything balanced in life. This table is about you coming and saying, I follow a savior who wants all of me. And because you're taking him in, he will not just take an inch. He will give you the full treatment. Don't come to this table this morning if you're here and you're kind of thinking, well, it's nice. I kind of think this is a cool thing. I like what everybody's doing. Don't feel the pressure because everybody else is coming forward to receive. Stay. Stay in your seat. Pray. Come forward. Fold your hands. Receive prayer. Talk to me after. But do it with integrity. Don't, don't act as if you're with Jesus when you're still around him. And for those of us that need to be with him because we like to hide, come to him now and receive and partake. Let's stand. As the kids come back in, let's stand and recite an ancient creed. The Christians have recited for centuries the Apostles' Creed. Daughters and sons of God, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the life body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. It was on that night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body 
given for you. Take, eat, all of you. Do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he poured out the wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. My blood of the new covenant, that is my new relationship I have with you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And my friends, if he has come once, he will come again. Take a moment now. Go before him quietly. Prepare your hearts to come before him and take this meal. Let's prepare our hearts.